I was raised to believe that the Bible defines good and evil for us within its pages. But when we stop and examine this idea using the Bible, we discover something else. In the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. A tree that would bring life to all who ate of its fruit, and a tree that brought death. And it was the second tree, the tree that resulted in death, that contained the knowledge of good and evil. Have we been deceived by the serpent who is trying to get us to eat of the second tree? Is the Bible really trying to define good and evil for us? Let's take a step back. Let's run an experiment. Instead of seeking to define good and evil, let's instead ask the question of the trees. Let's attempt to define life and death, but to do so, we must first seek it out. So join us as we Deresh Chai, as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where we examine the shadows of scripture. I'm Aaron Bishop, here with my beautiful wife, Rebecca. Hey! And today we are in Job 29 through 31. We are going to reach the end of Job's arguments in this episode. Yeah, this is basically the end of his speaking. He does get like five verses at the very, very end, but it's basically like, oop, my bad. And that's about it. (laughs) Right. Uh, So this is going to end in 31. So for the next 10 chapters, it is going to be all Elihu, this fourth friend who comes out of nowhere, and God. And that's it. Those are the last two speakers that we have after today's episode. And in what we read in these chapters, we're going to find that Job kind of sums up his entire argument. We saw that turning point last week in 28, where he got onto a topic that was abstract in many ways. Well, today he's going to then kind of turn back to everything he's been saying before. He's going to restate it in some ways, and then he's done. Yeah, and we can't forget that last week's episode was about four chapters, and it is still part of this speech. So if you haven't listened to that one, listen to that first, and then listen to this, because it's all one entire speech. Right, and it's a good idea to make those connections uh, as we as we go through. It can get a little long at times, especially when there's a lot of repetition going on, and you're not really sure what the, the main theme is. But here at the end of Job, in these six chapters, 26 through 31, there is a progression through his speech. There's a lot of parallelism, compare and contrast type language going on. We're going to see a lot of that in these last three chapters today. Because last week he was talking about this is what all of the evil people who don't have God do. And this is what I do. That was the compare and contrast last week. Well, this week we're going to see something just a slight bit different. He's going to be focused mostly on himself in this week's passage. Well, that's not all that new for Job. <laughs> that's true. It's not all that new. He, he does spend a lot of time reflecting on himself and his, his own circumstances. Because, I mean, frankly, who doesn't when they're going through a situation of grief? You do kind of get tunnel vision. And right. you can really only process what you're currently going through. I know I definitely felt that way when I was so sick mm-hmm. all the time. It wasn't that I was intending to be selfish or self-focused. But it was just that that was all that I could see. Well, right. When you're in pain, it's hard to think about anything else besides the pain. 
whether or that's how emotional, they get rid of it, yeah, right. Whether that's emotional, whether it's physical, it's pain is pain, and uh, we as humans we pull away from pain. That's just natural. There's very few people that enjoy pain. For and the if most you part, do, you might want to get that checked out, right? But for the most part, we we pull away from pain. We don't want to experience pain. We don't. We want to be in comfort. We want to be in ease. And that's kind of where Job starts in this first chapter. So let's go ahead and let's read all three of these chapters. And then let's uh, come back and let's talk about them. Job 29 through 31. Again, Job took up his discourse saying, Oh, that I could be as in the months gone by, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone above my head, when by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in the days of my prime, when God's intimate friendship was upon my tent. When Shaddai was still with me, and my children surrounded me, when my steps were bathed with butter, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil, when I went out to the city gate and secured my seat in the public square, young men would see me and hide, old men would rise and stand, princes refrained from talking and put their hand over their mouths, the voice of the nobles was hushed, and their tongues stuck to their palate. When the ear heard, it called me blessed, and when the eye saw me, it commended me. For I saved the poor who cried for help, and the orphan who had no one to help him. The blessing of the dying man came on me, and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was as my robe and turban. I was eyes for the blind and feet for the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I investigated the case of one I did not know. I broke the jaws of the unjust and snatched the prey out of his teeth. Then I thought, I will die in my nest and multiply my days like the sand. My roots reach the water, and dew lies on my branches all night. My glory is fresh within me, and my bow is renewed in my hand. People listened to me and waited and kept silent for my advice. After I had spoken, they spoke no more. My words fell on them drop by drop. They waited for me as for the rain. They opened their mouths as for spring rain. When I joked with them, they hardly believed it. They did not cause the light of my face to fall. I chose their way and sat as their chief. I lived as a king among the troops. I was like one who comforts mourners, but now they mock me, those younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to put with my sheepdogs. Moreover, what use was the strength of their hands to me, since their vigor has gone from them? Haggard from want and hunger, they gnaw the parched land, in former time desolate and waste. In the brush they pluck salt herbs and their food was from the root of the broom tree. They were banished from society, shouted at as if they were thieves, so they were forced to dwell in wadis, in holes in the earth and among the rocks. They brayed among the bushes and huddled under the nettles. A senseless and nameless brood, they were cast out from the land. So now I have become their taunt. I have become a byword to them, they despise me, and they keep their distance from me. They do not hesitate to spit in my face, because he has loosened a cord and afflicted me. They have cast off restraint in my presence. On my right, the rabble rise up, 
They entangle my feet and build up their destructive paths against me. They break up my path. They succeed in destroying me without anyone helping them. As through a wide breach they come, amid the ruins they come rolling in. Terrors are turned on me. They chase away my honor like the wind and like a cloud my deliverance vanishes. And now my soul is poured out within me. Days of suffering have taken hold of me. Night pierces my bones within me. My gnawing pain never rests. By great power he seizes my garment. He binds me like the color of my tunic. He has cast me into the mud, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you, but you do not answer me. I stand up, but you only look at me. You have turned on me cruelly. You attack me with the might of your hand. You lift me up on the wind and make me ride on it. You toss me about in the storm, for I know that you will bring me to death, to the house appointed for all the living. Yet does not one in a heap of ruins stretch out his hand and in his distress cry for help? Have I not wept for the unfortunate? Was not my soul grieved for the poor? Yet when I hoped for good, evil came. When I waited for light, then darkness came. My heart seethes and never stops. Days of suffering confront me. I walk about blackened, but not by the sun. I stand in the assembly and cry for help. I have become a brother to jackals and a companion to ostriches. My skin has turned black on me. My bones burn with heat. My harp is for mourning and my flute for the sound of weeping. I made a covenant with my eyes not to pay attention to a virgin. For what is one's lot from God above, one's heritage from Shaddai on high? Is it not calamity for the unjust and disaster for workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and count all my steps? If I have walked in falsehood, or my foot has hurried to deceit, then let him weigh me with honest scales. Then God will know my integrity. If my step has strayed from the way, if my heart has walked after my eyes, or if any defilement has stuck to my hands, then let me sow and another eat, and let my crops be uprooted. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or I have lurked at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another and let her others sleep with her. For that would be a shameful act, an iniquity to be judged. For it is a fire that devours to destruction and uproots all my harvest. If I had denied justice to my male or female servant when they disputed with me, then what could I do when God rises up? When he visits, how will I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make him? Did not the same one form us in the womb? If I withheld the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow fail, if I ate my morsel of bread myself without letting an orphan eat of it, but from my youth I reared him as a father and from my mother's womb I guided her. If I have seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or the needy without a covering, if his heart did not bless me as he warmed himself with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the orphan when I saw my support in the gate, 
Then let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder and let my arm be broken off at the joint. For calamity from God was a terror to me, and because of his majesty I could do nothing. If I have put my confidence in gold, or said to fine gold, you are my security. If I rejoiced because of my great wealth, or because of the abundance my hand acquired. If I looked at the sun when it shines, or the moon moving in splendor, so that my heart was secretly enticed, and my hand threw a kiss from my mouth then this also would be iniquity to be judged, for I would have denied God above. If I rejoiced at my enemy's misfortune, or gloated because calamity found him, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for his life with a curse. If anyone in my household has ever said, Who has not been filled with his meat? But no stranger had to spend the night outside, for my door was open to the traveler. If I have covered my transgressions like Adam by hiding my guilt in my bosom, because I feared a great multitude and the contempt of clans terrified me, so that I kept silent and would not go outside. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. Look, here is my signature. Let should I answer me. Let the accuser write the indictment. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it on me as a crown. I would give him an account of my steps like a prince I would approach him. If my hand cries out against me and its furrows weep together, if I have eaten its fruit without money or caused the death of its owners, then let briars come up instead of wheat and stinkweed instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. And thus ends the words of Job. He is done, ladies and gentlemen. Job's defense has been laid to rest. These last three chapters, if you were paying attention as we read through them, you would really notice that he is really focused on himself. And the three chapters, they kind of tell a story. They tell a story of Job, who he was, who he is, and that he didn't deserve it almost. Yeah, he definitely is making his final case. At the very end of 31, he's saying, there's my signature. I'm done. I've laid right. it all bare. And God come and, and accuse me. But right. it it definitely, it, in 29, it's almost bragging. It, it can feel like bragging, but is it bragging if it's true? I mean, if... It, well, I mean, it can be bragging if well, it's true. Well, that's true. Um, but okay, so in the in the West, we do have this idea that well, you shouldn't brag because you'll make other people feel worse. Uh, in the ancient Near East, that's not necessarily the case. The man with honor is is fully entitled to talk about his honorable deeds and to do his honorable things. Um, that's one of the things that Yeshua had to warn people against. It's not necessarily the right thing to do a bunch of good deeds and then tell everybody about them. You've you've got your reward. Because you're looking for a reward from men and not from God, but in the in the ancient Near East, that, that wasn't they didn't even think that way. Really, they're just like, yeah, this is who I am. This is this is what I do. He's trying to describe his his own righteousness because this is a defense. It is. It is definitely a defense. And and so, as part of a defense, he needs to lay out the groundwork for 
this is who I was before this calamity. But as I'm reading through 29, it definitely sounds very prideful. And I could be wrong. It could just be the statement of this is this is what happened. Right. You know, but there's there's some definitely some echoes of what sounds like um, what Nebuchadnezzar said right before he was struck with being turned into a donkey. Well, let's let's actually animal. let's compare those because what Nebuchadnezzar right before he was struck with seven years of living like a cow or whatever, eating grass and and all that, being crazy out in the field, uh, he looked over Babylon and said, "My hands have built this, the great empire." Yeah. yeah. Job's not claiming that he's built anything. He's describing his life. He's describing his actions. He's describing what he's done. And again, in his own defense. Mm-hmm. And so it, they're, they're not a one-to-one type of pride. Job isn't sitting there yeah. saying, I was the king of 14 nations and I was the, the richest man in the, he doesn't say that. The book said that. He doesn't say, I had a harem of wives, or I, I defeated many armies and threw my foes to the ground. He does say, if I saw unrighteousness, unrighteousness right. I broke the jaw of the man who did it. And I put on righteousness as a cloak, and I did deeds of uh, what in Judaism are called zedekah, righteous righteous deeds of giving to the poor and helping the orphan and the widow. And, and he describes his own honor as well as... When I walked into the city square, the young men saw me and they hid, and the aged they saw me and they stood, and the, the nobles, the rulers, they they held their held the words back, and the the leaders were hushed. He's talking about his own honor. He was extremely honorable gentleman, mm-hmm. and it was recognized by everyone, and it wasn't a fake honor. And I think that's really what he's getting at, because everybody's been accusing him of a fake honor. You've hidden these evil deeds from us, Job, mm-hmm. which is why you're now suffering. Right. And he's basically saying, no, I was righteous. I was honorable. I didn't actually right. do anything that you've been accusing me of. Right. And and so, yeah, it does kind of sound prideful. But then again, as a closing argument to what in some cases is, or what may seem like a court case. It's totally justified. I guess what it really sounds like, Nebuchadnezzar, is the the tree language Mm. where he's talking about in verse 19 and 20, where he says, My roots reach the water and dew lies on my branches all night. My glory is fresh within me and my bow is renewed in my hand. Right. So in Nebuchadnezzar's, it was a dream. Right. Uh, and that tree imagery is used elsewhere. We can turn back to Psalm 1, which we keep bringing up, because it's such a perfect example of the type of language that these men have been casting at Job for so long. And in Psalm 1, it calls the righteous man like tree that's sure. family planted by streams of water, mm-hmm. and that its branches will not wither, and it'll be sustained in times of drought. And so Job's just calling on that same imagery. And throughout the Bible, we see men pictured as trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very common imagery to, to find in the Bible. And uh, so, yeah, he's just calling on that, that common metaphor, that common symbol. 
So, but then, then comes chapter 30. Mm-hmm. And chapter 30 is so sad because he's describing how he went from going into the open square and everyone hushing and waiting for his breath and this great honor that he had and, and the good deeds that he did to others to now he's having evil deeds done against him and people show him no honor. And he's and the kids that were the, the men that were the most awful people are the ones that are, they are appalled at him. Right. They're using him as a byword or a curse. Uh, the though you don't be like that Job. Right. It's, and, yeah. it's and such it, a contrast. Really, right. And, and it's so sad because he didn't do anything to deserve this. He lost everything for through no cause of his own. And society turned its back on him as though he was no longer of any worth. And he became right. He, he, he truly did get canceled. That's a good way to put it because he, he lost everything. He didn't even make a bad bet. It wasn't even that he lost it all in the stock market or, or in an investment. He lost it simply through an act of God. Mm-hmm. And now he's this several actually, which, <laughs> but now he's this evil byword to everyone, and he's being treated in ways that he never would have treated anyone, even those guys, even those guys. Well, except for he may have broken their jaw previously, <laughs> but right. now now he's he's suffering their rebuke, and this is so common in our world, which is what makes it so sad, is because it's relatable. Mm-hmm. People who have lost everything become almost a social pariah. Oh, absolutely. It's almost as if we don't want to be reminded that it could all be taken away at a moment's notice. Or or we're superstitious and don't want it to rub off on us. Uh, yeah, that's another way to look at it. And regardless of what it is, it's terrible. Have friends abandon you and have your your honor, your your whether or not people listen to your advice be judged on whether or not you've suffered great loss. You would think that after this, people would be hanging on his words even more because he's experienced it hasn't been all good for him. Right. And I think that they will once right. he's restored. Right. Once he's restored. But they can't receive how do i say this you can't receive a good diagnosis and uh treatment from a doctor who is himself dying mm. uh, yeah yeah i suppose you can't receive uh financial advice from somebody who's homeless because you see them in the worst scenario and think, well, what do they have to offer me? Right. But in both of the situations that you just provided, the, the, what they're suffering is directly related to their profession or what they're trying to give. Job hasn't suffered a loss of wisdom. 
and he hasn't suffered a loss of righteousness. He's suffered a loss of tangible goods and is being treated as though he has now got that proverbial cancer as a doctor. Mm-hmm. That his wisdom is, is of no good anymore. That his... Right. But we don't have a tangible wisdom. Oh, that's true. And that was a big point from last from. week. Right. So there's not something that we can compare, but you've got someone who has lost everything in a spectacular fashion. And you see that person and think, this person can't possibly have good wisdom to share with me or they wouldn't be in this position. Right, right. And that's uh, such a terrible way to look at the world. Uh, and to be and fair, very natural, right? And and to be fair, right here where Job's at in the midst of grief, yeah, he's not thinking straight. Now's not the time to be uh, taking wisdom from him. But you also don't need to be kicking him while he's down. And that's, and that's yeah, that's that's the, the real the issue here. And that's what's so common in our society is when someone hits a low point, it's so common and easy for us to just go ahead and kick them. Emotionally, physically, uh, financially, to they can't harm me now because they're low. They they have no power or hold over me, and so I'm just going to add to their suffering and to their pain. Or even to just just think yourself better than them because he never lost his wisdom, like we said before. Yeah, he was still one of the wisest men around, but people weren't willing to even give him the time of day no they weren't so 29 was all about here is what life was like before the calamity 30 is here is what life was like after the calamity and it has to do a lot with his interactions with other people in both cases and Mm -hmm. 31 then gets into but i didn't deserve it the way i was treated after the calamity I didn't deserve it because I didn't do any of these unrighteous deeds that I'm about to list out here. And he even says, backing up his integrity again, if I have done these things, give me justice. Let me die. Do whatever. Let my arm fall from my shoulder and my arm be broken from the bone. You know, let my, let my arm just fall off right now. It's, it's, it's kind of like the modern, just strike me with lightning right now if, if I am doing wrong. If I have sinned, if I have, if I have, uh, treated you unjustly, then just strike me with lightning. And I mean, he's asking for some serious pain to have your shoulder dislocated or broken or your, your arm broken off at the bone. It's, Ow. Right. (laughs) That's really not fun for a guy who's currently already in constant physical agony. Right. And and the things he goes through are pretty base sins. In fact, I bet bet if we were to sit and to really study this out that we could line these up with kind of like the seven deadly sins or what we commonly call the seven deadly sins or the seven things that God hates from Proverbs. 
he's got the adulterer, you know, mm-hmm. the, the lust. If I, if I lust after a woman, if I hang around at my neighbor's house in order to take advantage of his wife, then let my wife become the, the target of some other adulterous man. I have lied. If I have cheated someone because of my, my scales are not weighted rightly. Uh, if I have uh, turned away from someone who needed something. who needed something, like the parable of the Good Samaritan. If I have acted like those men who just passed him by rather than stopped and helped. Um, if I have gone to greed, if I have thought that my gold would be my security. Right. If I, if any of my servants had ever raised a complaint against me and I turned my ears against it, it that I'm being unjust and I just said, well, I don't want to hear your complaints. I, I, I'm fine. If I had idolatry and I was worshiping the moon and the sun or any other thing. And he goes through all of these different things. I haven't engaged in any of these wicked things. I have kept myself pure. And he's going back. He's very much referencing what he said in 29. He's saying this is how it was and everything was great. And I had it all. Then I lost it all and everything turned to crap. But I didn't change. Who I was didn't change just because my circumstances changed. Mm -hmm. And that's so profoundly deep. Because often when people go through things, we treat them as if they're now a different person. And the truth is, Job's not the same person. He's not the same person. But his his base modus operandi of of being a righteous man didn't change just because the circumstances did. But frequently, frequently they do. And that's true. That's true. That was one of the reasons God pointed out Job in the first place was because he wouldn't change. He wasn't being righteous before God. He wasn't staying in allegiance to God because of what he had. He was, he was staying because of who God, who God was. is. Right. And so, yeah, he that is Job's argument in a nutshell. And if we remember back to last week, it was, this is what I do, and this is what the wicked do. A more active type uh, actions. Then he says, this is how things were for me. This is how they are for me. And I didn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. And that's really the summation. And right in the middle is that meandering abstract reflection on the nature of wisdom. Which, again, one of the most profound chapters in the Bible. If you really sit and think upon wisdom and its source and how to gain it and uh, all of that. And that's it. That is the end of Job, Job's speech and the end of his three friends' speech. That That is Job's mic drop moment. Right. And so next week we get into kind of like the prosecution and the defense's closing arguments. Yeah, with, a fr- from a lawyer we haven't heard from yet. It's almost as if this is a big trial. Uh, each side, Satan and God, both have a lawyer. But these witnesses are being called. You have mm-hmm. the witness against Job. You have Job defending himself. A witness against Job, he's answering that one. A witness against Job, he answers that one. And they go through several rounds of comment and rebuttal to try and lay out their cases. And then they both just rest their cases. They say their last bit, rest their cases. Now these lawyers for each side are getting ready to sum up both sides of the case. We've got Elihu on one side 
And we've got God himself on the other side. <laughs> Which is, I, I don't know. I think Job's is his closing statement. And then we get Elihu and then we get and then the we judgment get, from the judge. That, that's actually probably a better a better way to look at it. And so, yeah, Elihu is going to go on for multiple chapters. And uh, we will have a chance to really dig into what he has to say next time. So, yeah, anything else you want to say about... Yeah, actually, because while we're reading through this, there's echo after echo right. after echo after echo from David. From yes. The Psalms. He is everywhere in this. And it makes me think that David did a lot of reading in Job. And when we see David's life and the turmoil and the just chaos that he had to live through, he probably did spend a lot of time in Job realizing that that's what this book is for. Perhaps. There, perhaps there is that uh, um, it did come in that order and perhaps David did have access to this book. We don't really know whether David had access to the book of Job. Mm. Um but we do know that they both went through some very similar circumstances. David lost his entire kingdom because his son rose up against him in civil war. Uh, David had to spend time pretending to fight for the Philistines and fighting the Philistines. Right. He had to spend time run for his life the run over his and life. over and over again. And so they went through similar circumstances. So there's also the case to be made that Going through these difficult circumstances, men of God will come to these same types of answers and conclusions. Hmm. And it could just be that. It could be that. And they, they reflect each other because God is inspiring them and because they're godly, righteous men who are reflecting on the nature of life and who it is. There's a lot of echoes from uh, Solomon throughout here, too. Mm -hmm. uh, the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, especially. Which uh, Ecclesiastes we finished a couple months ago, and Proverbs, which we're going to get into once we're done with this book. And there's just so many echoes from all of the various wisdom literature traditions from the Bible. It just helps us to see that the Bible is one unified work. And it does have one ultimate author. Right. It has one, and it has one or ultimate. Or at least inspirer. <laughs> right. And it has one ultimate overarching uh, theme throughout. Or, or a set of themes throughout. And uh, it's going to continue to come back to the same conclusions. And us humans, humanity, being what we are, we got thick skulls. We do. And repetition aids learning. Repetition, repetition aids, aids learning. Repetition aids learning. Repetition and aids learning. Repetition aids learning. What, what was that? I didn't get it. <laughs> I have to say it multiple times to our children. Yeah. Well, uh, they can have thick skulls sometimes, and uh, they, yeah, they continue to follow in the same ruts, which uh, reminds me a lot of me and, and me, <laughs> everyone else alive. So, Job fits so perfectly into the wisdom literature of the Bible, even though it's coming at the idea of wisdom from completely different uh, point of view than either Ecclesiastes or Proverbs or even the Psalms, it still has that unified theme. It still has that unified conclusions. It still has... We still see wisdom. 
You see how it plays out, how it is exposed in real life. Right. And so that's what we need to recognize as we go through these books, is they do describe for us what wisdom looks like. And what faithfulness and righteousness looks like in the face of extreme adversity. Right. Uh, In the book of Ecclesiastes, full of wisdom from a man at the end of his life, looking back on it and reflecting on the goods and the bads and what really mattered. The book of Job from a man who's lost it all and who's dealing with his grief and his situation and trying to make everything fit together. How does this even work? Who is this God who I'm serving? Because I'm not sure I accurately know who he is. And the book of Proverbs, which is a father trying to give instruction to his son primarily, and trying to record just nuggets of wisdom to be passed on through the ages so that others can learn from them and reflect on them and mull them over and take time with them to to become someone who's not going to use a tomato in a fruit salad. <laughs> You're going to need to explain that one. <laughs> so uh, knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are fruit. Wisdom is knowing that you don't put it in a fruit salad. So, And theology is asking, is ketchup actually a fruit smoothie? Uh, there you go. So uh, after we've engaged in a bit of theology and philosophy, hopefully we've gained the wisdom to not put our tomatoes in our fruit salads. So, <laughs> and all that that implies. As you go through life, remember, as you seek life, also seek wisdom. It's a huge part of it. So seek and life. In all that you do. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Deresh Chai. If this content has blessed you and you would like more, please consider subscribing, liking, commenting, and sharing with others. To find out more about what we do and to support this ministry, head over to SeekLifeSC.com. That's SeekLifeSC.com. We'll see you again next time as we Deresh Chai, as we seek life. Shalom.